Welcome to the Cephi Podcast. Today we discuss the challenges in teaching leadership skills. Our guest is Madeleine Palmier from VUB in Brussels, Belgium. Her work highlights the increasing expectation for students to demonstrate leadership capabilities, different views on whether leadership is innate or whether everyone needs these skills. Madeline introduces a powerful model for capacity building to meet this teaching challenge, which spotlights capability, motivation and opportunity. Welcome to the European Engineering Educators podcast by CEFI, the European Society for Engineering Education. Our mission is to develop and improve engineering education and strengthen its image in society. So I can't really say I've had much experience in teaching leadership apart from sometimes mentioning it when I'm talking about teamwork. Yeah. Um, I think if I were to teach it, if I was made to teach it, um, <laughs> I would go towards like leadership theory. And I don't necessarily think this is the best approach to take with engineering students. No. So I definitely feel a lack of sort of staff development in this particular area. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a feeling maybe I think that leadership skills are dealt with by co or extracurricular activities such as mm. sports and societies. I'm interested today to see how Madeline's work in building capacity in this area um, could better equip us to um, to do that, and perhaps what should and shouldn't be in our remit. Welcome, Madeline. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm happy to uh, be speaking with you both today. So Madeleine Palmier is a Marie Curie Utopia Science and Innovation Co-Fund Fellow and within the Law, Science, Technology and Society Research Group at Frey Universität Bruxelles in Brussels. As part of her fellowship research, she's working towards the development of a theoretical model of civil engineering students' microethical development. Her interdisciplinary background is in engineering education research with a focus on bridging technical and non-technical competencies to foster engineering students' societal responsibility, workforce preparation and leadership. So Madeline, how did you get into engineering education research? I started my first engineering education research position during the second year of my bachelor's and I got the only one that was in the education space, and I was looking at how um, women in the College of Engineering develop their sense of belonging and how that affects retention, since the college, like many other engineering programs, was having retention issues, especially for female students. So that was my first foray into engineering education research, and then that continued on through my master's, PhD, postdoc, and now doing a postdoctoral fellowship. Hi, Madeline. Hi, Neil. Hi. So you recently moved from the University of Florida to Frey Universität Bruxelles VUB, the Free University of Brussels. And that has an interesting history. It was founded in 1970 when it split from its French-speaking counterpart to form two free universities after student protests. And it calls itself an urban-engaged university with a people-first, humanistic approach. Can you tell us more about engineering and where you work at VUB? Yes, so the VUB is interesting because, like Brussels itself, it's a very internationally diverse university. Mm. And it really draws a lot of students and faculty members from around Europe and the world. Mm. And engineering is one of nine faculties at the university with um, 13 departments. 
And as both a Dutch and English-speaking university, yeah. there are programs offered in both languages. Okay. Um, and my position is actually situated in the Faculty of Law and Criminology. So oh. although my background and my all of my degrees are in civil engineering, I'm currently working with a research group that is more focused on the legal, ethical, and kind of societal issues related to engineering and technology. Wow. So that, I mean, that must be quite a culture shift for you. Yes, it has been a culture <laughs> shift in many ways, um, both in moving here and then also being in a, a very different disciplinary space as the only engineer in that group and the only education researcher. Yeah. Okay. So before we start then, could we just talk about leadership in terms of in engineering education and why you think we need to build capacity to teach it? Yeah, absolutely. So leadership is something that I think is often discussed, but not always well understood. Yeah. And it's been studied and talked about for decades. And yet there still isn't a lot of consensus around what it really means. Mm. And I think that stems in large part um, from the difficulty in defining it in the many contexts in which it's used. But in practice, uh, leadership is far more complicated, and it is increasingly conceptualized more as a process and a set of competencies. So presumably this um, sort of definition as leadership as, as something that affects more people has meant that we sort of need to have more um, skills in teaching it. So in your work, you advocate for sort of capacity building to better teach it. But can you sort of explain to us what you mean by building capacity? Yeah, absolutely. So capacity building has um, different kind of definitions based on the context. So in looking at engineering education, capacity building relates to developing and strengthening the skills, processes, and resources that individuals and organizations need to adapt and thrive. And so in this context, it's understanding that engineering educators have increased demands and expectations on them to prepare their graduates for the growing number of skills that industry requires. Mm. And so as the engineering workforce continues to become more globalized and technology dependent and, you know, kind of all these 21st century shifts Engineering students are expected to have a broader range of experiences and skills, and that translates to engineering educators having a responsibility to help foster those throughout the curriculum. And so capacity building provides training and support for helping uh, engineering educators get kind of the competence and confidence that they need to support students in these evolving ways. So Madeline, if we consider leadership as a whole, uh, can we break it down into sort of sub-skills or what's involved? Yes, exactly. And I think that's a great question because that's a lot of where leadership um, research has moved in the last few decades is creating more operational definitions of it because it's kind of a meta competence, right? There are so many skills within leadership and that enable leadership. And so recent studies in 
engineering education with both professional engineers and engineering students and um, faculty members have really worked to define kind of the dimensions of leadership. And so what skills enable this um, broader competency? And some of the ones that are kind of threaded across these studies include um, skills like vision or seeing the big picture, um, the ability to organize people, uh, courage and risk-taking, communication is often cited, um, adaptability, responsibility, and um, an awareness of environmental, economic, and social impact. So really, uh, leadership is kind of a combination of technical, intrapersonal, and interpersonal skills. And I think having more of those operational definitions creates more opportunities to then think about how we can translate that into the classroom and what skills and interventions can help uh, cultivate leadership. Okay, so you you say that leadership is a meta-competence, and I like this idea of social problem solving being sort of a key a key motivation where are we in terms of engineering educators views i know that some of your workers interviewed these people yeah that's an interesting question because there are certain um lags it would seem in terms of <laughs> yeah. there's different kind of conceptual periods within the leadership literature so yeah. Kind of back in like the 1900s, it was what traits do leaders have? Oh, they're charismatic. They're, you know, these were the great yeah. man theories because they were often historical yeah. male figures and that was what leadership was. Yeah. And that sense shifted towards more behavior. So what behaviors do a leader embody? But then more recently, the leadership literature has taken more of this ecosystem view and more of a kind of relational view in terms of how these different components work together and what skills are needed within that and how it can be cultivated in a group. And in doing interviews with <clears throat> engineering educators, it became apparent that their views kind of fell along that entire spectrum. So I talked to people who, you know, had said that leadership is an innate and you either have it or you don't. Yeah. So they didn't feel compelled to teach it because certain students just weren't going to develop it mm. or certain students just weren't going to have a management role. Therefore, they didn't need to know about leadership. Yeah. Whereas others had this more nuanced and, kind of more contemporary perspective. Yeah. So it was interesting to see how within the engineering context it kind of falls along the spectrum and there are, and I spoke to engineering students in a separate study and they had kind of similar perspectives where some really thought it was innate and they didn't want to learn about it because they already had it whereas some of their peers didn't need to learn about it because they were never going to have it. Yeah, so, so this idea of traits leading to behaviours and then this thinking about leadership as an ecosystem, it seems your workers identify people in engineering education who are still in the 1900s um, looking at uh, leadership traits. And this is a view of not just, say, older engineering educators, but but the students as well. Right, exactly. So, yes, yeah, students 
seem to have that that same kind of perception. <laughs> and it can be hard understanding where those come from because of course you start learning about leadership from the day you're born and all through your life, both inside and outside school. So it can be hard to untangle the different ways in which students are learning about leadership and how much of that is attributed to the engineering curriculum and culture. But there's also evidence that the engineering curriculum and culture might not be dissuading students from holding (laughs) these ideas either. So the leadership literature has evolved and you're arguing that the engineering educators need to evolve with it. Yeah, so I think if we kind of cling on to these ideas that leadership is very trait-based or very leader-centered, then we run the risk of not providing students the opportunity to develop these competencies. Because ultimately, since it's a skill that can be developed, there needs to be opportunities within engineering education to cultivate that. Yeah. especially because I think it's important to understand what leadership means in the context of engineering and the ways in which students will practice it when they're in the workforce. And as industry employers and accrediting bodies are emphasizing more and more that they expect engineering students and graduates to have leadership skills, then there is the chance that, again, we're not preparing them in the ways that would be most effective for their future careers. But then also, I think, on a broader level, besides just preparing students for industry, it's understanding how to kind of support their holistic growth as humans and what role bachelor's or university experience can play in that. So could you give us a specific example of a scenario where, you know, we would have potentially two approaches, this innate behavior approach to educating leadership and this holistic approach? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think kind of the trait based is more looking at, you know, historical examples of leaders and being very selective about who those people are and what they demonstrate. Yeah, And even in interviews, when I'm talking to students and I ask them to describe when they've seen leadership, they'll often, several talked about, you know, the project manager came into the room and had a booming voice and everyone was yeah. immediately quiet and listened. <laughs> and so they, they have these kind of specific ideas about what leadership is based on the people they've seen who they think are leaders. Role models. Yeah, yeah exactly. And shifting that away to more of this leadership-focused rather than leader-focused approach is looking at how these people work together regardless of what position they're in and how they work towards um, whatever goal they've described. And so this tends to be more value-centered as well because it's thinking about Um, how you want to work together and what you want to achieve rather than just kind of the one person with the loudest voice or the highest power uh, position kind of pushing the group in one direction. So I think it creates more opportunities for communication and collaboration because it empowers 
more people to get involved rather than this dichotomy of just leader and follower. So we want leadership, not leaders. Yes, exactly. And I think that's an important distinction as well. So Madeline, if you were to sort of suggest an approach to engineering educators to sort of teaching leadership in this way, what would it be? Yeah, so I think generally leadership education in engineering has been very piecemeal. And oftentimes it's kind of tucked in with a design project or teamwork, but not often very explicitly. And so in the last 20 years, there have been more degree programs focused on developing leadership and kind of the evidence-based practices in this space really focus on understanding how to scaffold the development of these interpersonal, intrapersonal, and technical competencies. So sometimes that can be taught in the context of like engineering entrepreneurship or in um, engineering service work and kind of global citizenship. But within these scaffolded approaches, it's important to understand how to integrate teamwork and reflection. I think often having students work on real projects or design projects that have these kind of inherent problems that the students need to solve and really getting at that social problem solving within a context in which they need to consider, um, you know, the economic, social, and environmental implications, and then having them reflect on that process. And instead of, you know, having the one student who's assigned team leader for the entire term, figuring out how to delegate and have a more distributive approach can help too so that students can get the opportunity to practice leadership in a real context that can as best as possible emulate what they would be doing in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So I guess like an authentic sort of approach. In terms of sort of capacity building, what kind of activities then are involved in I guess helping engineering educators to be able to do this and and teach in this way. Yeah, and so I think this is a really big opportunity for capacity building. So not necessarily something that has yet gotten a lot of traction because oftentimes capacity building is more based on kind of general pedagogical training and which different pedagogical approaches or assessment strategies that educators can integrate. And depending on the organization of these, they might, these training opportunities might not even be specific to engineering. Mm -hmm. And so in talking with engineering educators in um, my previous work, they were really kind of remiss about the fact that they didn't know how to teach leadership because they had first of all, not learned in their own education, and then also not had any opportunities to learn about it more formally. Mm. And so I think capacity building as a whole can really help develop the confidence and competence for educators to understand how to integrate this. Okay, so so far we've talked about going from this uh, view of a leader to leadership 
and capacity building to allow us to do that. There are models of capacity building in the literature which allow us to do this more effectively. Could you tell us a bit about the ones that you use? Yeah, so one way that helps understand helps us understand capacity building is looking at human behavior and so why people would choose to engage in capacity building. And so there are a number of kind of models or frameworks around that. And so one that has gained traction is looking at behavior in terms of capability, motivation, and opportunity, and how those three dimensions need to come together to influence human behavior. So a capacity building activity could be an intervention. And in order to get people to engage with it, we need to understand, well, what is their motivation to do it? What is the opportunity that they have to engage in it? And then what is their capability term in terms of their psychological or um, kind of physical ability to, to engage with that? And so related to capacity building, the activities or interventions are only as good as if people actually participate. So that's why it's important in the context of engineering education to understand how and why educators choose to participate in these activities, because they obviously have a host of responsibilities and constraints on their time. And so it's important to understand if they're choosing to participate in pedagogical training, for example, you know, what are they hoping to get out of that? What opportunities are there? And how can those be kind of optimized to ensure that the educators and therefore their students um, get the most out of it? So this model that you refer to is the COMB model by Susan Mitchie. And there's these these three attributes, capability, motivation, opportunity. And if we focus on them individually, we can do much better capacity building. Yeah, exactly. So it's understanding how those three dimensions work together as sources of human behavior and therefore the way that they can affect whether or not somebody is going to participate in a behavior changing intervention such as a pedagogical training workshop or capacity building activity. Okay, so um, of these sort of three elements, is there particular barriers sort of to capacity building that you think are particularly linked with these three strands? Yeah, so I think that can vary quite a bit. In some cases, the pinch point is really at the opportunity in that faculty members feel like the pedagogical training that they need is not offered on their campus. And so that can often be the case in a topic like leadership where there aren't specific training opportunities either related to leadership or situated in engineering. So sometimes the real challenge is just that there aren't opportunities to engage. And oftentimes motivation is there, but if motivation isn't coupled with an environment that values and rewards participation in such capacity building or teaching excellence at large, that motivation can again 
be a bit of a pinch point too if kind of the individual values do not align with the broader environmental values. And so in research-focused universities, for example, promotion and tenure are often more tied to research excellence and the metrics that are associated with it. And so there's less motivation or incentive for teaching excellence, and therefore that can really serve as a barrier for faculty members who might be interested in these opportunities, but when they're already time-constrained and they have other metrics they need to work towards, there can be a challenge in um, aligning those. So the capability is there, but not the motivation and opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes, you know, related to a topic like leadership, faculty members can feel a little resistant in saying they have that capability because many that I've spoken to in my research have felt uncomfortable claiming expertise or even really competence in leadership since maybe they didn't learn about it or they've never worked outside of academia and therefore don't have a kind of practical application of it. And so I think that can be kind of an internal barrier sometimes um, in terms of engaging with these topics as well. And is there any particular sort of effective ways that you've sort of experienced that have overcome some of these barriers? Yeah, so I think it's really important to figure out how to have alignment between them. And oftentimes that which is easier said than done, but is the alignment between what is purported as valued and then what is actually valued. Because I think oftentimes there can be challenges in terms of what the kind of the policies say and then what the culture says. And so needing to understand if we're really claiming we value teacher teaching excellence, if we really claim to value leadership development in our students, Do we create environments in which faculty members are rewarded for pursuing that? Um, Because I think there can be this disconnection between the two. And so not having both the kind of formal and informal incentives can create a bit of a challenge for for educators. So we've talked about the importance of, of leadership skills and how we can better teach them and capacity build to do that. What's your view on how we assess the leadership skill? Yeah, and I think that, like all professional skills, is certainly a challenge because in many ways it's hard to see leadership. You know, you kind of know when you don't see it and you know when you're seeing a really good example of it. But in terms of translating that to classroom assessment, it can be very challenging. And as accreditors increasingly expect leadership, and coming from the U.S. context, leadership, you know, was a part of ABET accreditation for 20 years now. So it's long been a part of the conversation. So I think one way to address that challenge is again looking at leadership in terms of this kind of meta competence Mm. and thinking about how to assess the skills within it and then 
I think it's also important to, you know, so for one example is looking at more a portfolio of students. So rather than doing a more kind of traditional assessment of multiple choice questions or asking them about the theories is looking at how they're demonstrating leadership. So what activities inside or outside the classroom they're showing evidence of these skills. And so I think taking more of that portfolio approach can provide a more holistic view about student engagement and leadership and provide ways for them to then translate to how they would apply that skill set in the profession. Because I think oftentimes students have experiences in which they've developed skills but can have trouble discussing those you know, when they maybe get to an interview with a prospective employer. So I think having them reflect on those skills and experiences can provide a way to look at leadership assessment more holistically. So Madeline, thank you so much um, for joining us today. It's been a really interesting discussion and we really appreciate um, that. I was just wondering if before you go, you'd be able to give our listeners one sort of final piece of advice about building capacity to better teach these types of skills, such as leadership, and and sort of highlight maybe some of the tools that are available. Yeah, absolutely. So I think leadership, like instruction itself, needs to be recognized as a capacity that can be developed. And so creating scaffolded and contextual forms of engagement are ways to support students in developing these skills and then in the educators in helping students make those connections. So it's important to understand both the barriers and affordances within the environment And also that there needs to be this connection between the culture in which these skills and opportunities are valued and then also the incentives that show that they're going to be rewarded as well. And so I think it's understanding kind of this whole systems approach and what can be done to ensure that educators have the opportunities and supports they need, whether that's in formal training or being a part of a community of practice, in order to help students develop the growing number of skills that are being expected for entering um, the engineering profession today. Well, thanks, Madeline. It's been great to talk to you today. Thank you, Natalie and Neil, for the uh, opportunity. It's a pleasure speaking with you both. That was a thought-provoking conversation. Yeah, I, I really liked the way we focused on both leadership and capacity building in the same episode, and they sort of went alongside each other. So it was really complimentary, I thought. Yeah. So what was your takeaway? I think definitely I've always thought of leaders as positions that people have. And I think I've really starting to sort of think about how leadership can be a set of competencies, how it can, we can sort of change and adapt our leadership style in different contexts. And also, um, I guess I've started to think as well about how we can take more inclusive approaches. What about you? I think for me, it would be teaching 
leadership as needing this area of capacity building and those three elements of capacity building capability motivation and opportunities i think engineering educators need to look at all of those and see how we can better enable the teaching of leadership in our universities thanks for listening to this episode and we hope that you have taken away some interesting ideas about how to develop the teaching of leadership in your contexts. I'm Neil Cook. And I'm Natalie Wendt. Goodbye. Bye.